Welcome to this week's podcast. My name is Mickey Badlamenti, and I'm the discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, we've modified our church schedule to help keep people safe. We currently offer on-site Sunday morning services at 9 and 11 a.m. with limited capacity, and we ask that you register ahead of time. Please visit www.rockpoint.org slash register before you join in person. That way we can save your seat. And we also live stream the 11 a.m. service on our YouTube channel. You can always find Rock Point on Facebook or visit the website for more information, including important schedule updates. And while COVID may have affected how we do church, it cannot diminish our efforts together to be the church. We look forward to connecting with you. Enjoy the podcast. Oh, good morning. Uh, just a few quick thoughts for you today. We have a Spring Grounds cleanup coming up on uh, May 22nd, a Saturday at 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. So if you want to get outside, give assistance around the area here. Meet a few new people maybe in the process. Make note of that. Um, we also have a biblical conversation about mental wellness that's going to be coming up on Saturday, May 15th. A lot of interest has been shown in this. Going to be having uh, some of our health professionals there, some of our pastors there. Um, the past years have past years events kind of amplified, you know, feelings of anxiety, loneliness, grief, despair, all that type of stuff. And so we're going to have a little bit of a biblical conversation. So you'll be able to ask questions um, as well as engage uh, with uh, others in regards to this. So there's registration and there's a QR code. I'm told at the uh, welcome center that you can get into. Um, this is Mother's Day. We are cognizant of that. Um, I was reading just this morning, uh, there was a four-year-old boy, evidently, the mom had given him her laptop for distance learning, but he managed to get into her Amazon Prime account. Evidently, this kid has an affection for uh, SpongeBob SquarePants and an affinity for popsicles, and he found SquarePants, Square, SpongeBob SquarePants popsicles, and so he ordered 51 cases. So, parents, beware <laughs> of what you allow for your kids. I um, want to do this a little different than what we've done in the past. I'm going to ask not just the mothers to stand here at this point in time. I'm going to ask you a simple question. If, whether you were adopted, whatever the scenario is, if you were born of a woman, if you have a mother somewhere at some point in time were born of one, would you stand, please? If you are not standing, then I really want to talk to you afterwards and discover how that happened. Um, there's something unique. We are all born of women, and I think we should honor those mothers. So if you would, please. You may be seated, and for those of you that you recognize that fact, but you're wondering who was the favorite of the family, um, this question came up to a mother recently, and uh, the son asked that, and um, she said this, uh, my favorite child depends on who's not ticking me off right now. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Um, sounds like my mom. Incidentally, hi, mom, okay, because she's a ways away, but I know she'll be watching here, okay? Um, hi. I love all three of you. I'm one of three, incidentally, but this is not my mom, but it sounds like her. I love all three of you as deeply as a human being could love another human being, but depending on how much we are interacting in the moment, I may not like you very much. That doesn't mean I don't love you deeply. 
And it is a profound break, breakthrough, um, it was for me at least, to realize that my own parents could love me and really hate the way I was acting at the same time. And so to understand that your parent never takes away their love is just a matter of whether or not um, you're enjoyable or irritating. And that is why I say I love all of you, and whoever is my favorite is up for grabs at any moment. And if that is something that you actually care about as a kid, you want to be your parent's favorite, then you can work to make that happen. It does sound like my mom. Um, but you have my love unconditionally. Whether I like you or not is a different thing. I thought that was a very interesting statement to be made and actually relates, I think, also a lot in regards to our Heavenly Father in different ways as well, too. Before we continue on, I want to share one final issue that also relates somewhat to motherhood. Um, we had a communication from one of our mothers in Osborne recently. Those of you who've been around a while know that we've been engaged in the Osborne community in Detroit uh, for a number of years now. We have a distinct partnership there. One of our staff members is an office there and has been engaged uh, with a number of us there over the years. One of the things we were involved with has been the robotics team, establishing it from the very start, seeing them take awards from the very beginning. One of those students was Jaman, who many of you would know. He's been around. Jaman graduated um, uh, just last year, I believe. And his mother sent us a notice with another picture I want to show you in a moment, thanking us for what we put into Jaman and the time that our mentors spent with him through the robotics program and through other things. And this is a current picture of Jaman. He is in the Marine Corps, and here's what I find particularly interesting. His assignment is IT. Yeah. So just a nod to his mother who did most of the work, but also a nod to those of you who have engaged in the Osborne community and have been a part of this, and particularly to Erica and her team as well, too. I just want to take a moment to recognize that. We are not receiving offering during services. Uh, we're doing it with a box in the back or on line, so um, let's just take a moment, though, before we continue. Father, we thank you. Everything we have comes from you, and we give to you freely and generously, no manipulation, um, because you have given to us so much. And so, Lord, we honor you this day. We recognize you as an authority in our lives. We move beyond just the worship of lips into something tangible and in a way of partnering with you. And we pray that these things would be used for your purposes with wisdom and integrity, Lord God. And now we ask this morning that you would um, help by the Holy Spirit to open up your scripture to us, to give us an understanding of your will and your way for us, to transform our own lives, I pray. And the kingdom of God is brought forth in this place. Guide us, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been in what is now the fourth part of a five-part series. We conclude next week. We began with talking of a different way to live and the contrast between trendiness that um, is transitory and not uh, dealing with the things of eternity. A different way to think, uh, the issues of objective truth in a world that is extremely subjective. We talked last week about a different way to see ourselves, to see ourselves as our creator sees ourselves and the future that he has for us. And today I want to talk to you a little bit about a different way to fear. Fears and phobias, we all have them. Uh, Studies have been done in regards to this, though, that shows that for the most part, the things we should fear, we don't. That we have usually fears that are not as legitimate as others. For example, many of you who have a, a fear of flying, I don't mean to pick on you, but if you drive, you need to realize that you are, like, multiple times more likely to die, especially depending on whoever is driving, in a car than you are in an airplane. 
And I know that doesn't now convince you to go on an airplane as much as to not drive home now at this point in time. So we all have different things that drive us, but too often we're afraid of the wrong things. And those motivate or dominate our thoughts rather than those things that we should have concern for. In Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, we are told this. We are told that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's the starting point of wisdom. And knowledge or understanding of the Holy One is, under, is, is, is understanding. So there's something about understanding God and knowing Him that's linked to the same issue of fear. Now, interestingly enough, in Proverbs, wisdom is personified as a woman. We could almost consider it a mother who is attempting to instruct us and give us guidance. And the very first thing she would say to us is that the fear of the Lord, this is the beginning, this is your starting point. And, and with this is somehow linked the knowledge of the Holy One, the knowledge of God. I want to present to you a, a brief video. There's a man named Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson is a Canadian um, clinical psychologist. He has, some of the stuff he has done, um, he's very ethical, very thoughtful, very highly intelligent and organized. Some of the things he's done has been taken and been used to beat up other people, and so there's some political aspects of this that I'm not representing here today at all whatsoever. He is not a Christian. But what you see in this shows that something is processing with him. And so um, uh, ignore he's being interviewed by a Greek Orthodox priest. He's a really nice guy, but ignore him as best as you can. Okay? Jordan Peterson. I mean, people have asked me whether or not I believe in God, and I've answered in various ways. No, but I'm afraid he probably exists. That's, that's one answer. <laughs> um, yeah, no, but I'm terrified he might exist. That, that would be a truthful answer to some degree, or um, that I act as if God exists, which I think is, I do my best to do that. But then there's a real stumbling block there because... There's no limit to what would happen if you acted like God existed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I believe that, that acting that out fully, I mean, maybe it's not reasonable to say to believers, you aren't sufficiently transformed for me to believe that you believe in God <laughs> or that you believe the story that you're telling me. You're not, you're not a sufficient... You're not, the way you live isn't sufficient testament to the truth. It's like, really, really, you believe that the Son of God, that, that, that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, and yet you act that way, and I'm supposed to buy your belief. Hmm. And, and it seems to me that the church is actually quite um, guilty on that account, because the attempts to clean up the mess have been rather half-hearted in my estimation. Yeah. And so I don't think people, people don't manifest, Christians don't manifest this, and I'm including myself, I suppose, in that description, don't manifest the transformation of attitude that would enable, that enables the outside observer to easily conclude that they believe. I don't know if you caught one subtle point in that as he's sitting here and talking about Christians and how there's not been transformation. And he comes to a point of, he's shaking his head, and I, would, I guess I include myself in that process. 
he's, he's realizing that he's also coming to an issue of faith. But the thing that captures this person who is driven so much by their ethics, that is driven so much by how they're supposed to live life out, is this. If Jesus really was, and I have to admit, the whole reason why I play the video is because it's Canadian, his word when he says God. I just think that's much more powerful than God. Okay. But if you really believe that he's the son of God, if you really believe that he's the son of God, wouldn't this change? And he's not condemning, though there's much to condemn in the church and even of those of us present in how we live out our lives. But his whole thing is grappling with this and saying that if I truly believe this, what are the implications for me? And he's approaching this with a spiritual and intellectual rigor that many of us have not approached those things with, even those of us who are followers of Christ. But if we truly believed that, if we, if we didn't just claim Christ, we weren't just brought up with the, the cultural casualness that surrounds us oftentimes and the imagery of who God is by that casual cultural imagery. He's our buddy, he's our friend, he's our good time guy. But if we actually came in contact with the God of the universe, that the awe of approaching the creator of the universe, this sense of awe, this concept that he is God, is what this man struggles with in this moment of time. And you can see it in real time beginning to unravel his world. If this is true, if we come in contact with not the cultural image that so many of us have projected who Jesus is, that many times is just simply a reflection of our own politics, our own ethnicity, and our own personal views and biases. But if we actually encounter the God of the burning bush, the God of Scripture, the one who parts the waters, the one who thunders from the mountaintop, the one who created us, what are the implications of that? And it's unraveling this very logical, rigid, intellectual man. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of God, understanding him. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus, gentle, loving, kind Jesus, says in Matthew chapter 10, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus, what are you saying? I'm saying that there's something of import when you come and you engage in the creator of the universe. There's something of impact that changes how we think. God, as we said, posted for generation upon generation through the prophets, but then he comes in the person of Jesus. And when he shows up, this is how Jesus talks. This is how he challenges us. In Proverbs chapter 1, right at the beginning of Proverbs, this same basic concept is repeated. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the baseline starting point, this fear of God. And then it says, fools, though, despise wisdom and instruction. Fool, in the scriptural sense, is not just someone who's stupid or slow on things. It means someone who is morally deficient. We despise that wisdom and instruction. 
Romans chapter 3.10, you might have heard, and as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. But this is the first part of a quotation that Paul is saying that concludes after verses 3.10 um, all the way through to 3.18, it concludes from there's none righteous, no, not one, to there is no fear of God before their eyes. Those who are unrighteous, those who have no awareness, there's a blindness, there's no fear of God, there's a blindness that's in place. We go into Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, that says there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. There's a certain way that appears to us to be right. I, 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 I love her, we're not married, um, we're, but we're going to be married, and so we're having sex because that's it. we want to test those things out, you know, kick the wheels before you do that. Let's move in for a little period of time. It doesn't matter that every scientific study that's been done shows that's the best indicator of divorce if you move in beforehand. Doesn't matter even that. It feels right to us. Doesn't matter that God says no, sex is strictly for marriage, not to be used prior to marriage, no matter how much we love or whatever else, but it feels right to us. My emotions, my feelings of, of my own self and, and all that's part of that, it appears to be right, but in the end it goes to death. Jesus, again, sweet, loving, kind, gentle, forgiving Jesus in Matthew chapter 12 says, But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they've spoken. For by your words, you'll be acquitted. By your words, you'll be condemned. We go into Ecclesiastes, and the writer there is, is Solomon, the wisest guy who ever lived, and he comes along and he says, walk prudently when you go to the house of God. Draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they don't know um, that they do evil. He says that we're supposed to approach God in a, in a case of listening, not in the case of, of just kind of randomly approaching things. When we talk about the fear of God, we're trying to explore what does that mean to, to have this fear of God. There's a lot of different aspects to it. it. It can mean several things in the Scripture. We find that it can refer to a terror one feels in a frightening situation. It can mean respect in the way that a servant fears his master and serves him faithfully. Fear can also denote the reverence or awe a person feels in the presence of, of, of greatness. The fear of God or the fear of the Lord is kind of a combination of all these things. This, it's a continual awareness that our loving Heavenly Father is watching and evaluating everything we say and do. But it's a difference in how we perceive that. If I'm driving and I'm a teenager and with the driving habits that I had as a teenager, which haven't changed much, um, and there is my father suddenly shows up behind me in the mirror, my habits change there a bit. I'm conscious that he's driving behind me on the way home and I'm going to be a little more watchful in how I drive. You could say that there's a fear of my father in that moment, but it's radically different than if I look in the back mirror and I see a police officer's car behind me following me for several miles. Suddenly I'm imagining all levels of guilt that I haven't even experienced yet. And especially if those little lights start flashing and everything else, now I have an encounter with the law. And there's a fear that we come in having an encounter with the law because we know down deep of our own guilt. But it's radically different than if I have my father following me. Both are following us. Both are watching us. 
Both can correct my behavior, but my motivation as to why my behavior is correcting and changing is different. Those who fear the Lord have a continual awareness of Him, a deep reverence for Him, and a sincere commitment to obey, obey Him. But it's from a different motivation than other types of motivation. I don't know how many of you will understand this, this illustration here for a moment because things have changed so much, but there was a time not terribly long ago when the ABC Wide World of Sports would open every sequence of their weekly uh, um, uh, communication with um, a showing of different sports figures, and they would talk to you about, they would relate to you the, the, the thrill of victory, and I can't remember which one that was, but it was somebody that was victorious in a moment. And then some of you might remember the next one, the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. And it was some poor guy who's coming off a ski, a ski jump, and he's got perfect form, he's coming all the way down just great, and then suddenly as he starts to come off the edge of it, something changes, and this poor guy starts to tumble head over head until he hits some support system, and just, I mean, he wipes out all over that ski slope. All I could think of was this poor guy walking into bars around the world and saying, oh, you're the agony of defeat, aren't you? Can you imagine having to see that over and over again every week? But what most people don't realize is that the guy intended to do what he did. He chose to fall in that moment of time. Now, the reason why, he explained later, was this. The jump surface had iced over and become too fast. Midway down the ramp, he realized that if he completed the jump, he was going to land on level ground way out there that was not covered in snow beyond the safe landing zone where he probably could have died from it. As it was, the skier suffered no more than just some really severe head injury in the sense of a headache, nothing damaging or horrible. So what happened is, as he's going into the thing, he's realizing there's something wrong with it. He purposely changes his aerodynamic flow in such a way so that he'd fall into the safe zone and not into the, the far zone. The fear of the slope, the fear of flying too high, the fear of the fall himself had him change his course. Fear, in this case, led to life. And the fear of the Lord, in the same way, causes us to adjust, to change how we're operating and how we are functioning until we reach a point of understanding. One writer puts it this way. He said that what the alphabet is to reading notes, to reading music, and numerals to mathematics, the fear of the Lord is to attaining the revealed knowledge of his book, and of his character. It starts with something at the very beginning, an understanding the way of God that changes us then in how we operate and go. Now many of us, I, not many of us, I don't know, but a number of us I know probably have had this years ago in this church once or twice, a long time back, but it was really popular in a lot of other churches for a while. There was something called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. And it was a drama that was enacting people going to heaven and people going to hell. Um, I wasn't a big fan of it. I, I have a problem with being people being terrified and scared into the kingdom of God. But let me be clear. If that's the only way we're going to end up in the kingdom of God, then, then fine. As a starting point, that's Okay. And some of us started there, whether you ever saw that production or not. 
if you've read the scripture enough, if you've had enough things taking place that, that you might have started with the idea of having this sense of, of true fear or terror of, of hell or of, of facing God with your sins upon you. If that's a starting point, that's fine, but that should not be the finishing point. That element should catch our attention by encountering the holy, by encountering the awesomeness of God, that it shatters our world in such a way that it brings us to a, 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 a heart-stopping moment. But that should only be the beginning point at best. As we continue into the knowledge of God, as you understand not just His awesome power and, and, and reverence and all that's part of it, as you understand also His love, His grace, his forbearance, his patience, his kindness, his gentleness, his utter awareness of who you are so the degree that he knows every hair on your head. And for some of us, that's a constant changing number. But that he knows us so intimately then that initial fear and terror that launched us at that point in time begins to change. And while there's still that reverence and awe, Something else transforms. One writer from years ago, Gerald Van, a British theologian, a philosopher, said this, that to grow in wisdom and love is not to lose all fear of God. It is to change our fear of God. It is to pass from the servile fear of the slave, the fear of punishment. If you're still in that place, then you need to move past that and, and, and lean in to know more of the God you serve. It's to move past the servile fear of the slave and the fear of punishment to the loving reverence of the son, fearing to offend his father. And in the end, to the purely selfless power of the lover, the fear of hurting what you love. The beginning of fear is to understand the nature of God. One of the things I'd stop and pause for just a second is to challenge where are you at on that spectrum. One, do you even have a fear or reverence? Are you even aware that, that God is not a reflection of your political or ethnic or, or uh, intellectual biases that he stands supreme and alone, separate. Have you come to know who that is, first of all? And if you have, have you been shattered by that and, and, and taken to such a degree of brokenness that, yes, there should be a fear and trembling that I have offended that God? But if after years of time you are still in that position of total servility, then there's something that you need to grow in understanding of who that God is. That is a starting point, but it was never intended to be a finish point. And as you grow in that understanding, the reverence, the awe is still there, the, the need to learn that there's a different way of how we engage the world around us. It's no longer the way that seems right to me, but it's now the way that is right. And we lean into something like Proverbs chapter 3 that says, trust in the Lord now that I do with all my heart. And I lean not into my own understanding, but now in all my ways, everything I have and how I view myself, how I view others, how I view the world around me, I submit to you and he will make then my path straight. 
that we're challenged and we're transformed. This is what Peterson struggles with, is if, if this is true, if, if Jesus really is the Son of God, what are the implications for me? And he's shattered by that moment. He's aware that the rest of Christianity isn't sufficiently transformed, and then he realizes, but neither am I. And as he struggles with the enormity of that, who knows where for him that story ultimately will end. That is not relevant for us today. But the question is, where does it end for you? Have you first come to that knowledge enough to be broken by it? And if so, are you then moving past that to understand the full grace of which you operate in? The nature of the one who gave everything for you, who sacrificed it all, and is not just a mere reflection of your and my biases, but is to be known for who he is. And how does that affect then all the other fears that we have in our lives? Oswald Chambers, a missionary from years past, wrote a, a, a devotional that to me has been one of the most powerful devotionals ever written. When it came to the subject of fear, he said this, it is the most natural thing in the world to be scared and clearest evidence that God's grace is at work in our hearts when we do not get into panics. And then he said this, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. My parents, my mother will be 90 years old this year. Hi, Mom. My father passed away at 92. The last number of years of their life, after serving God almost all their life, they did numerous missions and speaking tours around the country, around the world. At one point in time, there was a comment made of concern because they're in their 80s and they're still flying. And again, the misperception that flying is more dangerous. It's not more dangerous, it's just a lot more terminal than most accidents. And the image I had of my parents, when I shared this with family members, is my parents are so prepared to leave this world. They are so aware of, the, of, the, of, of God that, that they serve. I said, if the plane goes down, they're going to be the ones that are going to be in the front row going, wee all the way down. Because they no longer fear those items. I've said before, and I say it again here, I, I love heights, I love rock climbing, I love mountaintops, I love the vistas and the views. I'm a little leery of it at times, though, because there's always a part that draws me where I feel like if I focus too far, I'm going to just go over the edge, and I have to watch myself against that. But I still recall going up to the Grand Canyon for the first time a couple of years ago with my family, and I'm conscious that many people have died at the Grand Canyon, taking their selfies, leaning too far over, uh, walking along the edge too closely. A lot of people have died viewing the Grand Canyon. Don't ever go to the Grand Canyon. It'll kill you. No, but you need to respect it. And so as I approached the Grand Canyon, I approached it with a caution. I realized I was engaging something that could kill me but it's something that I had to see. And once I saw it, I was filled with an awe like nothing else, even though I'd been prepared for it. The vastness, the grandeur, even though I'm on solid ground, shook me. 
I was cautious. I was aware, but I had to see it. It could have killed me, but I had to see it. And upon seeing it, it unraveled a certain section of my soul. This is the same thing when we begin to talk about the fear of God. When we begin to understand what it means to pursue the things of God. It's the beginning point. It's the starting, that fear. But it also starts us in the knowledge and understanding of him that begins to transform that fear into a respect and an awe that never leaves, but an intimacy and a depth that transforms us even more deeply than the shattering moment of its revelation to us. It's a different way to fear. And having experienced that fear, no other fear comes close to shaking our world or our thoughts. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, the wisest man that ever lived said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter after an entire book examining um, the idea of how to live. And he says, this is the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is man's all. This is man's all. Sometimes you will notice, for those of you that really care about such things, that I'm not always here at the beginning for worship. Sometimes there's technical reasons for that that we're resolving. Oftentimes, though, it's because I step into the atrium and I want to see those of you that are there because I'm watching you. <laughs> no, just to see. Recently, I poked my head in there and I saw a friend of mine and I felt impelled to do something, and I just wrote on a piece of paper, I see you. Signed it and put it on their chair while they were worshiping and not noticing that I had done that. Later they, there was an exclamation point on it, later they communicated to me that that meant something for them, and, and I intended it to be that way. I felt there was something about it, and that was really between that person and me. But as I processed some things, even early this morning, I thought maybe there's something in this here for you as well. You see, my friend took that to mean how I meant it. That they were special to me. That in seeing them there, I wanted them to know that they were to be seen. And in a way, there was something I think of God seeing them in that moment too that I wanted them to know. But my friend could have taken it entirely different. He could have taken it and thought, oh, he's seeing me. What was I doing when he saw me? How was I standing? Did I do something? Is he watching me even now? Every step I take, every breath I make, is he now watching me? And he could have been freaked out over it. Because of the relationship and the understanding, he took it the right way. God is watching you and he's watching me. How do you take that? He sees every aspect of what you and I do, every word we utter, every act we take, every thought we have. But it's not the fear of the police officer and the law in my rear view mirror. It's a view of my father. We fear the law because what we do matters. But when we look in the back and we realize that it's our father who's following us, and it's our father who sees us and watches us, it's one who we've come to know loves us and cares for us, knows us intimately, then there is still a type of fear, but it is a different type of fear and a different way to fear, and it changes how we encounter every other fear. 
And we reach a point, as Jordan Peterson does, where he sits there and says, if this is real, if Jesus really is the Son of God, what does this mean for me? What does it mean with how I live my life? If you, in fact, God, are real, then what does that mean? And so, Father, this morning on this Mother's Day, this time of honoring women who bear us in their own bodies and give us birth, we are aware that when we encounter you, we're told that we have to be born again. That there's some whole new travail that transports us from one world to the next. That as we encounter you, that our whole reality shifts. You are not the tame lion or the buddy that everyone thinks. You are God Almighty. And yet you have stooped to love us to embrace us. Our world has changed. The writer is true. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. Not the end, but is the beginning of all wisdom. And understanding you, God, and your nature and character changes who we are, how we live, how we think, how we see ourselves. And so this morning, Lord, we take a moment to pause and consider what does it mean, the true reality of God in the flesh. I want to close with the same scripture I've read for the last four weeks or so in closing. Psalm 25, the writer says, In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. Show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Savior. And my hope is in you all day long. Father, we come before you as your children, and I pray, Lord, right now that those who have never experienced the soul-shattering presence of your almighty power, that somewhere today or in this week they would experience that moment of time of realizing who you are and the fear of God would enter into them. I pray, Lord, for those who have experienced this fear of you for so long but have not moved beyond that into the understanding of the fullness of your character. They only see that part of your character. That they, Lord, in the days to come would move past that initial breaking point that initial terror into a full understanding of who you are and the fullness of your grace and mercy and love would temper. And then for us, Lord God, those of us who have experienced already that element and have moved into your grace and understanding that, Lord, we would not lose. We would not lose in exploring all the other facets of your character that we would not lose a sense of awe and reverence and respect for Almighty God our Creator. You are God. And the implications for us are all-encompassing. Go with us this day, Lord, even as we seek to honor mothers. First and foremost, we honor you. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.